Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yeah. This week, something a little different. It is an anthology rather than a book, and it is called The Green Man, Tales from the Mythic Forest. Wind chimes. (laughs) Wind chimes, wind chimes, wind chimes. Yeah, lots of tinkling and wind blowing. It was edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Windling. I'm sorry about the pronunciations of those names and illustrated by Charles Vess. So as I already mentioned, this is a little bit of a departure from our usual format, but this collection is one that was very important to me when I was a young reader. It came out in 2002, so I was in eighth grade at the time, and I think that although usually we do recommend that you go and read whatever it is that we're covering before you listen to an episode, I would actually say the opposite in this case. Um, I think that because these are all short stories, the real pleasure that you get from them is in the writing style and the tone that they create rather than... The atmosphere. Yeah, rather than the plots. And also, the world is terrifying right now and I think that we could all use some soothing and this collection and I'm hoping this episode will be calming because we can all just escape into the forest and spend some cleansing time there. Um, So my hope and I think Madeline's hope as well is that this can act as a bit of a balm for you in these troubled times. It is my hope. If you are interested in reading this, um, it is findable. It's not in print, at least in the U.S., as far as I can tell, but there are used copies widely available. When I was looking for an audiobook, which does not exist, um, I saw a lot of used copies. It would blow my mind if there was an audiobook. Yeah, there is not an audiobook. Um, Yeah, plenty of used paperbacks and hardbacks available. Also, eerily enough, Barnes & Noble is about to release an e-book. my hypothesis Weird. is they're using us to uh, figure out new sure market trends. I'm sure that's we got it. our finger on the pulse. We are, you know, widely inc- listened yeah. to. An incredibly niche podcast. Um, so we'll put links on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, to where you can purchase a used copy or the ebook if you're interested. Yeah. We are not going to do a full plot summary. We'll just talk about our favorite stories and the ones that have stayed with us. Um, It is a collection of stories and poems, and I did appreciate the poems this time around. I've never been a big poetry person. Oh, okay. Um, So I didn't pay as close of attention to them. Exactly. That's why I think... This is a good duality we have here because you I think we should read some of the poems, actually. (laughs) Okay. Grace Luke has both of her hands up. She's like, oh, my God. I was an English major, and I remember having a meeting with one of my professors before an exam once, and he was like, okay, so you missed, like, the class where we were talking about this because... College was fun. I had some stuff go on mentally. (laughs) We don't need to talk about that now. But anyway, he was like, yeah, so let's just kind of walk through this. And I was like, Chris, I don't, I don't want to. And he was like, what, what's happening to you? And I was like, I just, I can't do it. I won't do the poems. 
so I am hopeless. I'm a, a brat. <laughs> that's, that's what's no, happening. No, you're here. not. That's okay. Um, but we are going to talk about how the publisher chose to package and promote this collection, as always. Um, so let's take a look at the lovely cover, which will also be up on our website. Yes, let's. And this is also a, a painting by Charles Vest, the illustrator who created drawings for each of the stories and the poems. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like this cover. It has, it is colored pencil. I always think it's colored pencil. What does Grace say? You do. <laughs> you do. Um, I paint. I think that this is. Crayons. <laughs> I think this is watercolor. What? Okay. Okay. But watercolor. See that watercolor and colored pencil though, because you can't be so precise with watercolor, can you? I mean, you can. I thought you just have to like splatch it all on there and then rub it around with your hand. So, is this what you're saying? The painting Mm -hmm. I made for you at Christmas looks like splash the paint on and rub it with your hand. Okay, that's only watercolor. Watercolor. Did you pencil the design first? I mean, I sketched it. Okay. Okay. So it's you know. It's not yeah, just watercolor. Of course, you make a sketch. No. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Pencil I don't know. Count as a medium. Anything about art mediums. I like to draw with pens on paper, and that is it. Shaping up to be a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, it so it has this um, middle face with the eyes and the extra the peripherals of the face. Like you can see this cross section at the top. Um, these really cool green kind of leafiness it is the face of the green man um in and then some holly at the top of his forehead yeah there's holly coming up from and then there's vines we've got a lot of different types of leaves i see oak leaves at the outside um and then there's these like roots vines along the sides of the paper and there's little animals in there and you can see this winding path that winds from the foreground off into the distance and is uh, its end is eclipsed by the trees that go off into the forest. Um, And the path, I also kind of like that it could be a stream in some lights um, (laughs) because it's just, it's watercolor. So, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of woobly. Um, Woobly. Yeah. And something I never noticed is actually that the path leads to or is coming from the city, which you can see in the far off distance. So there's this emphasis on leaving the urban. And okay, so this nature. is not a picture of the path winding off into the no, unknown. It's you've already You're coming back the path, from the which unknown. Is the opposite of every like central path art piece I've ever seen. Very interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Very interesting. Okay. Charles Vess's work is gorgeous. I can't overstate how much I love the illustrations that precede each work in this collection. Um, and so we'll, we'll put a few of those up on the website as well. Um, but he does a lot of illustrations for fantasy books. He illustrated Neil Gaiman's Stardust. Um, Uh, and I just think his work is really incredible. Yeah. So skipping plot summary, let's head right into old and new impressions. All right. Grace, would you like to go first since I have not read this book? I mean, I did read this book yesterday and the day before, but I didn't read it prior to that point. I always read the books for the podcast. 
I don't know why I feel like I have to defend myself from. <laughs> no, no. I just, I thought that you had read this. No, um, no. And I don't know why I feel like I am being accused, but I'm not. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> I played the fifth. Okay. So before rereading this, I just wrote down a list of the stories that had left a lasting impression on me and the ones that were my favorites when I was young. Um, it's been a long time since I've read this book, but when I was a an adolescent, I read it very frequently, and I also read it in the way that probably many children and teens read anthologies, which is rereading your favorite pieces over and over again and skipping everything. Ignoring else. all the other ones. Yeah. There were some stories in this that I actually hadn't read wow. until this month of my life in my I love that. 32nd year. Um, so that was fascinating to see which ones for whatever reason my young self was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, was so, it like longer ones or like the, the poems? Well, <laughs> I didn't really pay attention to the poems, no. Okay. Um, and that is, that's a bummer because these poems are all, Amazing. They're lovely. Yeah. And Jane Yolen and Neil Gaiman's contributions are both poems. Yeah. Um, you know, Neil, Neil Gaiman was busy. He's like, okay, I'll write a poem. <laughs> well, and that's another cool thing about this book is that all of the pieces in it were written for the anthology. It's not a collection of mm. previously published works. Yeah. yeah it's it's um, kind of like a exercise for yeah. these, like really cool authors, which I like. It's a great exploration of this theme. Um, Ellen Datlow and Terry Windling have a series of anthologies that they put together, mm. kind of focusing in on different fantasy elements. Okay. And a few of them are YA specific. This one is YA specific. And I think part of the reason, because when I look at feedback and reviews of this book today and just see what about it is on the internet um there is a fair amount of negative feedback and i think that's from folks expecting this to be a an adult examination of the green man myth which okay, it really well, really isn't did it's, they it's did they read a, anything about it before they bought it or did they just like impose their expectations I on know. it and i think it's really funny when people are precious about the green man myth in the first place because as the excellent introduction in this book goes into and as we've also discussed before in our i believe it was in our treasure in the heart of the tanglewood episode mm. the green man is a concept that was essentially made up by a 20th century aristocrat um, and was an attempt to unite the works of art that were on many different churches and other buildings throughout Europe um, dating back hundreds of years. Right, like to like Celtic mythology, basically. And other cultures too, I mm -hmm. think because <laughs> the fascinating thing is that humans, no matter what social and cultural constructs they're raised within tend to think of trees as people. <laughs> so we all end up in this place together where we're visualizing some kind of green man or woman or figure. Yeah. And the uh, art that's on the churches tends to most often have the elements of a man's face um, with leaves pouring out of his mouth and then kind of wild hair and vines surrounding the face. Mm -hmm. um, and that's on a lot of Christian churches too, which is fascinating because a lot of people think of it as a pagan 
and a symbol. Well, a lot of Christianity like was right. purposefully superimposed over pagan right. um, iconography, rituals, stuff like that, because they were trying to stomp out paganism with Christianity. I'll stop talking about Christianity now. And some of the stories in this book also have a cool interplay between the religion of the forest. Yeah, I really liked that. These other, you know, more established religions that we think of today. That's why I think it's funny when people are like, you need to talk about the green man in a careful, accurate and respectful way. It's just like this is all made up anyway. I mean, as with so much folklore, it's really difficult to trace the roots of any one story. But the green man especially is a construct. Well, (laughs) and it it reminds me. Lady Raglan, that's the name of the woman who made it all up. (laughs) You didn't read the introduction, right? I read the first one that was like two pages and the next introduction was like 20 pages and I was like, nah. Like, I'll dip my toes <laughs> in introduction water. Nothing beyond that. It's really good. I so, would, I would dude, it reminded it. me of like being in school and my, or in like college or even law school and my professor assigns this like 50 page thing and I'm like, this is all an introduction for a book and I'm going to tear my eyes out of my head. We've had this conflict on the podcast before. (laughs) Introductions are valuable. (laughs) If you read them, you might find yourself having some knowledge that helps frame the work that you're about to read, but that's fine. It's not entertaining. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) I also, because it's an anthology, um, there are is just a difference in quality from work to work. But I think that overall this collection is really strong. Yeah, I don't think um, anything's crappy. I didn't say that. <laughs> You're like, yeah, some of them suck. That's not what I'm saying. No, I, th- I think they're all really special in their own way. And yeah. it was really interesting for me to sit down and just read the book all the way through instead yeah. of skipping to my favorites as I have so many times um, in the past. Yeah. It's an interesting way to read an anthology because at first I got really stressed out. I was like, Oh my God, this is so many stories. I can only watch like one episode of TV before I'm like, yeah. no new story. I'm done for the next week. Full disclosure <laughs> on Friday night, we had our family dinner and as our siblings like to do with our partners. And um, the way I say that makes it sound like we have 10 siblings. But (laughs) anyway, we had family dinner on Friday night and I said to Madeline, okay, so when do you want to record this weekend? (laughs) And I got a lot of pushback. (laughs) She did not want to read this. (laughs) And uh, Josiah was listening, my partner, and later he was like, Madeline really doesn't want to read that book. (laughs) Is it always like this? No, no. I just, and once I got started, then I was like into it and I was happy that I was reading it, but I was just so daunted by having like reading 20 different stories um, because it's something I don't do very often. Like I either take my media in tiny, tiny, like second sized pieces on Reddit Mm -hmm. or the internet or wherever or um either micro or macro exactly no in between or i'm playing like a 200 hour like rpg party based yeah you know where it's like so thick in lore or like you know one of the novels that we usually Mm -hmm. read so this was an interesting departure from that one thing i was really struck by when i was reading this is 
Well, it's very, it's for young adults, but this is definitely the kind of thing that if I had read it when I was younger, I would have been like, oh, this is inappropriate. I'm not allowed to be reading this, but no one knows because it looks <laughs> like I'm just reading a book. So I'm reading it because um, there's a lot of sex discussion. Yeah. Um, this is really a firmly YA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the books we read skew a little younger and can be classified as children's books even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, as is our podcast manifesto, you can read anything at any yeah. age, pretty much. Um, yeah. So it doesn't matter. But, yeah, I, I agree. There uh, was some sexual business going yeah, on. Yeah, and I would have been, like, I never read this when I was little because I think it's already been established that I'm afraid of anthologies. <laughs> <laughs> and with an introduction like that, wow. <laughs> Um, but I think if someone would have told me like there's sexy stuff in this that I would have been I love when you do your little like a horny Madeline voice (laughs) (laughs) which comes up in all our Tamara Pierce episodes oh my gosh (laughs) definitely some sexual awakening stuff in there for sure um I, I think I would have been more likely to read it and I I did appreciate reading it like that age of stuff is hard for me, like especially when kids are in school to be reading about it because my I was like so incredibly thoroughly and summarily traumatized from age like 12 <laughs> to 20 <laughs> by my peers and like just the situations that I put myself in and just it was a lot of bad stuff for me, but Instead of finding this book like searing in that way where it's like your mind hand is going to touch a hot mind stove and you're like, no, don't, don't do that. Instead, it was, it was a bit of a bomb. Your mind hand. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. I yeah. Get yeah. Um, and uh, I appreciated that. And uh, I just, I don't know. I, I thought it was really cool because it made this, this green man forest Mm -hmm. personification of the forest Mm -hmm. type myth very accessible to a real world kind of interwoven instead of having that strict like um bifurcation Mm -hmm. between real and fantasy um you know bring some magical realism into your everyday life which is i'm all about that i love it yeah i know you are too um and uh, I just, I really, really enjoyed that. I literally, after I did read this book, I sent Grace a text yesterday just saying, like, Green Man is lovely. So reading this as an adult, um, there were a few, st- we'll talk about the old favorites too. Oh, so much goodness to get mm. through. But there are a few stories that stood out in a way that they really didn't when I was young. Um And the first of those, which I kind of can't stop thinking about since I read this a week ago, is the story Charlie's Away by mm-hmm. Midori Snyder. Yeah. Um, so this is a story about a boy who is about to go off to college and he is changing to the next phase in his life, but he is really trapped in, mentally trapped in this period because he his sister died when he was young, mm-hmm. um, when she was four years old. And she... Um, walked out of the house while she was sleeping. She was sleepwalking and froze to death in their backyard. Um, And there is a (laughs) massive forest that stretches right up to the backyard. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and Charlie ends up climbing up into that forest and exploring it alongside his sister's spirit. Yeah. Um, and finding the catharsis that he needs to be able to grow, move past this while also still holding his sister's memory mm-hmm. close and also knowing that he doesn't need to be the one to take care of his parents and yeah. make sure that everyone else is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why that really resonated with me. But like Madeline mentioned, so many of these stories, they don't just head directly into the forest. They intertwine modern life with the power mm-hmm. of the wood and of the spirits within. And there is a really beautiful back and forth that shows how the two can hopefully coexist mm-hmm. um, without one needing to overtake the other. And I think it's telling for both of us, like we did, you know, move from the Chicago area to Seattle. Um, This type of approach to nature has always been really important to me. And I actually took this book. Part of the reason it's so beat up is because I always took it to camp with me because uh, I liked to be like out in the woods and have my green man. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Because I was kind of ridiculous. No, I mean, that makes total sense because that was the closest we had to that was like straight up nature we were sleeping mm-hmm. in cabins and going out in the woods carrying rifles bunch of eight-year-olds <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really the rifle part that made me feel connected to the woods <laughs> i that's just always what i think about whenever i think about camp like they handed me a gun when i was eight and said okay carry this for a mile through the woods and i was just like okay <laughs> I that camp was very important for me. It, no, me too. It's just it was a eight wild years place. There. I mean, eight summers, not eight years. Yeah, we we just sent Grace to camp, and she spent a lot of that, time there. We haven't gone into this, but that actually was my adolescence. <laughs> we lived in a camp. She was in the woods in Wisconsin. <laughs> so of course, this book is close to my heart. Um, but anyway. Uh, Midori Snyder just explores the concept of trauma and grief so beautifully. And in the story, his sister actually was a forest spirits child, Mm -hmm. um, the child of like the green mother. Right. Yeah. Um, So that's why she she didn't die exactly, but she needed to go back to the wood and his parents didn't want to let her go. It was because the green mother was hurt and she was Mm -hmm. like, okay. Got some important stuff going yeah, on. Can you help me out by taking care of my important stuff while I recuperate? And then when she was better, she had called her child back to her. And the entire story is very, um, it's like overwhelming in the best way where you're really pulled into that wood. And he and his sister are just running through this treetop canopy mm-hmm. of the great forest um, for months i think Mm -hmm. because he is gone from his family for a long time but then in the end there's also a wonderful um kind of reckoning between the forest and the city um and his choice to traverse them both and then ultimately return and continue to move forward and understand that his sister is gone but she's still living on is just really beautiful um yeah and i don't think i could fully appreciate it no definitely not because it's so it's it that story also made me think about um so i in recent years 
I really, really love um, good horror movies. And uh, as anyone who loves horror movies knows, they are about, almost universally, they're about grief. They're about bad things happening. And then it's it turns it, it externalizes it into this, real life horror situation, but at the root of it is like very personal and private grief that everyone experiences at some point in their Mm -hmm. lives. Or some other kind of trauma. Right. Some kind of trauma Mm -hmm. um, is a better word for it. And it made me think about that and like why I really liked that story is because it's kind of the same thing as like bringing an otherworldly universe in to encompass your trauma somehow makes it more relatable and understandable and Mm -hmm. easier to process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorites was the Pagodas of Sibure? Sibur? Sibur, yeah. Um, Yes. Uh, Okay. I have a lot to say about that one. Go ahead. Good or bad? No, good. Oh, okay. Um, Did you, another question, did you read the author's little blurbs about why they chose to write the piece after each story? If I was confused by the story, I read it. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) one addition. I love that in this anthology, each of the authors had a page where, um, you know, we learn their other works, their credentials, but then they also reflected a little bit on whatever it is that they had written. And these range from one sentence to multiple paragraphs explaining the folklore behind their thoughts and things like that. Um, But the Pagodas story, the Pagodas of Savor by Shane Bell. M. Shane M. Bell, Shane Bell um, was really useful because pagodas are actually a really obscure French fairy tale element. Mm. Like they're an established creature, um, but they haven't been written about very much at all. Okay. So after I read this story, I just Googled pagoda for like 30 minutes and all that came up was buildings. And I was like, well, I guess if you had read the blurb, (laughs) there's actually a lot of information about them right there. I'm reading it now. And And the author actually says that it was hard for them to find anything about the pagodas as well. Ah, Okay. So, Why don't you tell us about this story? Uh, in this story, there's a very sick little boy, Maurice, um, who is in the countryside with his mother and his grandmother, and his dad is around dadding somewhere. His dad's in Paris. Yeah. Um, and uh, the boy has some sort of like fever notes. Oh, he has leukemia, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> more than a fever. Um <laughs> He's got a fever or something. He's a wuss. A little bit. Um, He has leukemia. And uh, he is in the countryside and walking around with his mom. And he sees these magical creatures called pagodas. um, And he realizes that they are trying to heal him. And he battles. Describe the pagodas. Uh, So... I don't know if this is what the story says about them, but how I imagined them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like little, little, so you can't see the creatures. You can only see the, the stuff that they put around themselves as armor, sort of like, um, bagworms or, uh, hermit crabs. And, uh, but they use pieces of ceramic. Yeah, they use pieces of ceramic. So you can't see like the little wispy sprite things, but you can see all of the pieces of ceramic moving around that they've like adorned themselves with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's how I chose to see them. That sounds in line with what I picture. Oh, great. Um, and uh, the boy realizes that they're being attacked. Oh, this is why you don't like this story. Yep. <laughs> yep there it is. By horrible, horrible carnivorous slugs. Honestly, it was hard for me to get through. Oh, and when I was young, okay. I never finished it because I got to the slug pages. I mean, I, I don't know if we've mentioned like, this on the podcast before, but I have an irrational fear of slugs. Grace um, does not like slugs. Yeah, I can't handle them. Uh, yeah. So them slugs being the major antagonists of the story isn't great. And there's so many pastors about just like piles of slugs. Yeah. It's really hard for me. Wow. I actually didn't think about that while I was reading it, but Uh, now it's like, oh man, of course Grace had a hard time with this one. It's all about slugs. Um, and he helps them defeat the carnivorous slugs and then they heal him and he's better and he goes back home and he doesn't have to go to the Parisian doctor who's bleeding him <laughs> anymore. Uh, cool, dad. Good idea. Um, don't bleed someone who has leukemia. This was a long time ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, I really, really love this story mostly because I loved the Pakotas so much and it really reminds me of something that I would have as a child, like thinking that little pieces yeah. of ceramic or something were being used by creatures mm-hmm. um, for to, like just because they're pretty and they're just like, you know, little guys scuttling yeah. around and you yeah. will only see them if you are like if, if you are in the right place to see them mm-hmm. and otherwise they're around, but you just won't. Uh, it, in particular, I really, really loved the pagodas as little sprite fairy creatures. And that's why I loved this story so much. And also, Grace, they do defeat the slugs. So Yeah, they yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exactly, I felt the same as what you were saying. It was really in line with the way that we would play when we were kids mm. and finding something in the forest. Like a, it's an old um, pottery kiln. Like it was a pl- it was a place where yeah. ceramics were made, so there's a great deal of broken ceramic pieces. Finding that in the first place would be you know fertile enough ground. Oh, that would be to so incredible. Go off in so many different yeah. pretend directions, um, and the place that Maurice goes with it feels so real, um, and it's truly magical. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I loved that story, and it's about a real composer. Um, Maurice Ravel. Yeah, yeah. Ravel, um, who was very sickly when he was young, and the author. I read, just read I just him. read that now. Well, and read the blurb. The, when Grace had me read the blurb. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I think this is in the, at the end of the story that he grows up and uh, purchases that land so that he can go back and keep um, taking care of the pagodas. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, I just, I know that this story is a lot more than I'm presenting it as, but I thought it was very sweet. (laughs) It made me feel that childlike wonder. Exactly. Maybe partly because the protagonist is very young. Mm -hmm. Most of the other protagonists are like teens and he's a small child. Yeah. Um, So it really brought that childlike wonder in. And it was really cute when he brought his dad to um, where the pagodas were and the dad just like threw himself into the, uh, yeah. he, he thought it was all just play, but he like participated as much as he was able to. He and it was, slugs. yeah. Yeah. And it was just really sweet. So another one of my new, n- new favorites 
was Hunter's Moon by Patricia McKillop. Um, which That's an interesting one. Is one that, did you like it? <laughs> when you said that, I, ca- I can't tell if you did. I was a little confused by that one. So I think that when I was young, um, I, I only read it like a couple of times. It's so subtle, mm. um, but it's extremely evocative. And I really found myself in that place with the protagonist. Mm. Um, so Hunter's Moon is about a teen who is visiting her uncle with her dad and her brother. Um, and her name is Dawn. She, it's deer hunting season. So her dad and uncle and brother are out hunting all the time. Mm-hmm. And she is kind of wandering through the forest and she meets unsafely. So to be wandering around the forest yeah. during hunting season, <laughs> not, not safe. Um, and she meets a teenager, who is also wandering mysteriously in the forest and realizes that he is a deer spirit and the rest of his family is as well. And they have their own like hunting season ritual where they try to invite humans to it so that they can sacrifice them i think it's all very mysterious that's what i was Um, wondering it's not explicit at any point but the mood that that story created was so beautiful it really reminded me of a night in the woods actually um which is a video game such a good video game you guys you must play it so it's pretty widely accessible and it is unbelievable oh my (laughs) god it changed my life one of my favorite games (sighs) that i've played in recent years um yes uh, so I think I really liked it from that perspective. And Patricia McKillop is an amazing writer. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, I found that to be very thoughtful. The moment when Dawn almost gets shot um, mm. and the hunter that she's with, Hunter Capital H, the member of the deer spirit family, mm-hmm. changes into a deer in front of her. I felt like that moment was so incredibly well written when it would be, I think, very difficult to make that sound effective and not like overly dramatic and yeah. excessive. Yeah. Um, and it just, yeah, it made me feel very, it made me feel very thoughtful. Really. Yeah. No, yeah, it was a cool story. I just didn't totally understand what was going on, but hearing you confirm what I thought was going on makes me feel more like I did get it. So Yay. thanks, Grace. This is why it's great to talk about the things that you read together. Just talk about your stuff, people. Keeps it from bottling up inside you and going rancid. That's what I always say. So uh, I want to talk about the Terry Pratchett-esque yeah, Fee Five Fo, etc. by Gregory McGuire. Um, just on page two fifty eight. I really loved one thing about reading this book. Uh, I loved was I would look at the picture and be like, "Huh," and then I would read the story and then go back and look at the picture and be like, "Ah, the the pictures are great." They're yeah, the really illustrations fun. are both 
exceptionally specific, but also you can enjoy them without having read the story yet. So I like that they precede each of the stories because they really draw Mm -hmm. you in. That's probably also part of what determined which stories I read yeah, and which ones I skipped past. Well, Gregory Maguire, I did read his blurb because I was like, who is this author? Because you know who he is. I didn't recall until I was like, oh, he wrote Wicked. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Whether to cover Wicked or not has been a longstanding internal debate of mine for this podcast because it's not YA, but it was a fantasy book that was really important to me when I was a teenager. But um, I don't know. I have complicated feelings about Gregory Maguire. Let's talk about this story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so this is a retelling, it, which is in character for him, uh, a classic fairy tale and the fairy tale is Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, I mean, it, it is very Terry Pratchett-esque, which mm-hmm. I loved. I don't know if this is how Gregory Maguire usually writes because I ha- haven't read anything else he's written, to be honest. It's not. I mean, he... I'm sorry if I interrupt. No, no, go. He he does a lot of social skewering, mm-hmm. but he is typically much more serious. Okay, this because this is super... Is like firmly absurd. And right. just stays at that level the entire time. Yeah. Which is both like interesting and also kind of exhausting. Yeah, I've, I really enjoyed it. Um, this, this story in particular, it just... I I don't even know what else I'm going to say about it other than it's super fun Mm -hmm. because Jack of the Beanstalk is an old, old story and it's been retold a million times in a million different way. And I really loved this retelling of just these scrabbling Monty Python type medieval folk who have... Like no redeeming quality. Kingsland. Yeah. Very farcical. Yeah. And just absurd. Um and I, I love Jack the Lesser's ladybugs so much. The ladybugs and everyone throughout the story keeps just like crushing ladybugs. These <laughs> incredibly intelligent, trained ladybugs yeah, that are like, not only trying to convey information and save people, but also like dancing to cheer everybody yeah. up. <laughs> spell help and like no one notices and, and they just get squashed yeah i Lesser love sending out his so ladybugs much. yeah um and there's really good pretend food in it because yes. there is the bubbling pot which is from the original fairy tale it is one uh, yeah. of the things that mm-hmm. jack brings down the it's goose a pot the that, harp and the pot yeah it's a pot that gives different foods every time you lift the lid off mm-hmm. and the descriptions of the things that come out just for breakfast of like um made me hungry uh sausages and eggs and uh, sweetened cinnamon oatmeal and then it smells like flapjacks but he doesn't open the lid again because he's full <laughs> yeah okay so i've i've talked about the the new ones that stood out to me um actually there is one more but i think we should do that last um because it's kind of a good summation of everything else. So I, um, my, my favorite <laughs> when young and also like still up there for me is Joshua Tree mm. by Emma Bull. Yeah. Um, this story has all the elements that teen Grace would just mm. immediately become obsessed with. I mean, a rave in a desert, man. That sounds awesome. There's a desert rave. There's like close obsess- obsessive discussion about music. Yeah. There mm-hmm. is a teen having a hard time at high school and just within her social circle. Yeah. There is 
a Joshua tree that comes to life and yeah. saves someone. And feeds her like <laughs> magical sparkly water. It's so good. There, there's dismissive discussion of military culture. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, there's really everything. No, you that one was could very good. Ever want. Um, I've read that story probably a hundred times oh, wow. um, when I was a teenager. Yeah, I was so obsessed with it. I can perfectly picture the illustration at the beginning of Tabitha withdrawing from the Joshua Tree's hand as his like huge eyes shove up close to her face yeah. in the desert. Um, the story is about a teenager named Tabitha who lives in the middle of nowhere in California, um, very close to Joshua Tree, the national park. Mm. Um, and she, they, it's a very small town, but there's a military base there. Mm. Um, and she is a town name. She's not from the base. And she is really unhappy with essentially every part of her life. She's not challenged at school. She kind of occupies this persona of not caring about anything so that she can so be she's safe. less bullied by yeah, I understand the, that. Um, other kids. And she's also withdrawing from her own social circle that she's been in throughout her life because she is realizing how different she is from them. And she goes to a rave one night in the desert and something happens to her. She becomes disoriented and she wanders into the desert and wanders for two days in the desert um, and has a mysterious encounter with a humanoid Joshua tree yeah. who gives her his sap to drink and deposits her at the outskirts of the desert yeah. um, where she'll be found by some other people. Um, and in the process, she also makes a new friend who's like a new kid in town who's also a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> and after, as she's recovering from her uh, desert wandering, um, the new girl comes over and hangs out with her yeah. and wants to hear like really about what happened to her. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that the two of them are not only going to become friends, but try to leave. Yeah. <laughs> leave the town yeah. for good. Mm -hmm. um, They're going to go to Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> I am um, so God, it's going to sound kind of embarrassing, but um, I got to go to Malibu for the first time uh, this summer. You were working on your brief and oh, that's when you guys went to Malibu yeah. when we were in California. Yeah, we went to California. I was working on a, a hearing brief. But like we went to the beach, you wouldn't have wanted to Is, go. And the anyway. seagull stole things out of your backpack, right? Well, our mother... Sounded and, like a lot of fun. Our mother and brother <laughs> were trying to give the seagull food, and I was saying, don't encourage it. And then the seagull got too big for its britches. And it ransacked your bag. It ransacked my bag. Um, and the thing is, Malibu itself isn't... Uh, appealing in that it's like okay where some of the richest people in the world live and there are these uh, super excessive houses on the cliffs and things like that mm -hmm. but the ocean and the beaches are really astounding mm. um and we went to so it's beautiful 
is so beautiful. And we went to a small beach that was um, where you had to kind of basically climb a ladder to get down to it. So there wasn't really anybody there. And uh, I have a thing with oceans that I think is a pretty regular human thing where if I can Mm. just like look at and listen to waves for long enough, I can be calmed. And as someone with a lot of anxiety, having anything that will 100% of the time work to soothe me is pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was thinking about this story while we were there because the song that they are obsessed with that they play again and again is the song Malibu by Hole. Courtney Love's band. Um, Um, Right, yeah. And it's actually a great song. (laughs) Um, It's one that I sought out after first reading the story when I was very young. And did you listen a whole when you were? Not not a lot, no, but I loved this song. Yeah, that song has always been important to me. And I love music writing so much of any kind. And I think that this story, honestly, for me, was one of the early introductions to writing about music, even though it's Mm. not that much. Uh, But I was just young enough that like I hadn't stumbled across that kind of thing yet. Um, And then later I could move on to like novels that are completely concerned with music as Mm. well as music criticism and all the other stuff that I love to read and that I wrote for a little while at least. Mm. Um, And uh, yeah, so the story is really important to me for a lot of reasons. And I also love that we got a desert story. Grace um, loves the desert. And a desert exploration of the green man because deserts are very much alive in their own ways. And I find deserts exceptionally beautiful. Um, Have you ever been to Sedona? No, I want to go. I went to Sedona. I know. <laughs> I was jealous. Remember before you were going, you were like, oh, we're going to the desert. And I was like, no, no, it's Sedona. You're going to really love beautiful. it. Yeah, <laughs> it was really beautiful. Um, yeah, the, I've, I have very little experience with deserts. I went to Tucson. I was kind of blown away the entire time. And it was 100 degrees, but I was like out wandering around by myself. <laughs> she sent me so many texts about the desert. I was like, you're going to die. <laughs> Go inside. <laughs> I took care of myself. I was very blocked up and very hydrated. But anyway, who knows how much of this story is the reason that I'm obsessed with deserts. And oh, that's okay. the thing about revisiting these formative works from our childhoods. There's there's a lot about it that definitely stuck with me. Yeah. So, yeah, I need to read Emma Bull's other work. Mm. Um I know she has quite a lot of it, uh, and I was just young enough, and the internet was different when I was obsessed with this story, so I didn't really have the opportunity to seek out her other books. Um, So yeah, I need to do that, because Joshua Tree is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the the story that I want to talk about next is called Grounded. Yeah. Um and it one is one of my old favorites as well. Okay. As it, current. It it might have been one of my I don't know. I don't I didn't really pick favorites when I was reading this. I appreciated <laughs> all of them. Okay. <laughs> Sounded very judgy. No, no. I was just saying like I didn't like pick out specific ones I wanted to talk about because I'm down to discuss all of them. For sure. And also, I'm better than Grace. <laughs> um, I appreciate all works, including poetry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in Grounded, the uh, it's about a mom and daughter. Who is the author, please? Nina Kiriki Hoffman. 
She has written, oh, some of her short stories have appeared in Bruce Covell's anthologies. Nice. Uh, unicorns, I bet. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, A Glory of Unicorns is another anthology we should cover. I have that. She lives in Eugene, Oregon with cats, friends, and many creepy toys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, this story had such a good Pacific Northwest feel. It if, really if you did. count Northern California as the Pacific Northwest, um, which I think you should. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in this story, a divorced mom and her daughter, who the dad is like not interested at all, um, they uh, are good friends, and the mom meets a man online. Um, and falls in love with him. And she tells her daughter, like, we're going to go meet him. And uh, if you like him, I'll get married now. And if you don't want to deal with it, then I'll just wait until you go to college, which I was like, wow, practical. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, wow, look at you. You're like really thinking all this out. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. I appreciate that. Um, and they go to his house, which is this beautiful. Oh my God. (laughs) forest <laughs> mansion um, that's like all wood and glass it's yeah. filled with plants inside yeah. and mm-hmm. out probably similar to what my house would look like if I could just build a house yeah no definitely that's what all my sim houses look like yeah they look like witches live there and rich witches in the forest <laughs> is there anything better uh, yeah um and uh, the daughter discovers that the man her mom has fallen in love with is some kind of forest. He's like the green man. He mm-hmm. can bring life to green things. And his kids are... Well-meaning, but creepy. Well-meaning, but creepy. Yeah. And his they wife... They have some powers. Yeah. His wife died of cancer. And it sounds like he tried to convince her to become some sort of like yeah. forest entity. Uh, and she didn't want to do it. Yeah. So she died. Um, and he is in love with the mom because she works in hospice and he brings life but she can let people go so beautiful it's it's so yeah it's so incredibly beautiful i just i just really really love it and the the girl in the story who it's told through her eyes she talks a lot about how who she's supposed to be and what she's supposed to be doing to match up with that person. And she talks a lot about how some people can do some things because that's them, but Mm -hmm. I can only do some things because it's me. And I remember thinking about when I was in Catholic school, because I, I like making dumb jokes and I like being funny and just being kind of loud and exuberant and just, you know, "Ah!" like it, it feels good to me. Like I'm expressing myself. But when I was in Catholic school, I knew that I was not supposed to say anything because anything that I said, no one would laugh and then they would use it to make fun of me later. So like sometimes people would make like stupid jokes, much less, much less good than the ones that I would have made and everyone would laugh. And it was because of who they were, like they were the people who were allowed to be funny and they were allowed to be liked. And I knew that I wasn't that person. I like, no one liked me. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to act like people liked me. Um, So it was really interesting seeing the protagonist of this story uh, talk about those roles and about how eventually she like breaks free of that. And she's like, I'm just going to be like what I want to be and not like try to fit myself into that, um, which is what I've been working on. 
since I became conscious of it. It's hard. So many years ago. There's such good discussion of the exterior versus the interior throughout this story, too, because we're seeing... From the teenager's perspective, she's really worried because mm-hmm. she sees, you know, the green man yeah. figure Vernon. He's like he's so really beautiful, handsome. and her and mom. His children are gorgeous, yeah. and mm-hmm. she's like looking critically at her mom and her and, and at herself, herself. Yeah. Um, and really focus on like how can they actually like us? And right. then there's the added component of they met online, so they don't really know each mm-hmm. other's physical self. Um, but then also she has a journey throughout the story of showing her feelings through her music because she plays piano mm-hmm. and Vernon gets a piano for her and she plays through the experience of joining families and yeah. of her feelings about everyone and everyone else is also listening. So like that's her form of communication with them, yeah. which was super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is an important story for young people to read for a lot of reasons and for adults too. Yeah. I mm-hmm. felt very calmed by it. Yeah. Um, Me and too. when Fiona and Vernon, the green man figure are sitting together outside on a log and he becomes a plant for a moment. That's so frightening. Yeah. Um, but it also feels natural with the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many different places that this story has to go. Yeah. And the author, Nina Kariki Hoffman does a really, really incredible job. Um, yeah. So that, that has always been one of my favorites. I think I also love how, I love how specific it is. Yeah. Um, the writing is really, uh, it's really satisfying Mm -hmm. for that reason. But then there are also these much larger themes that are being addressed throughout of your inner self and your confidence and of death and life. And it's a great story. Yeah, I think so. Good pick. Thank you. Um, Let's talk about Tanith Lee's story in this book, which is called Among the Leaves So Green. And we recently did a Tanith Lee book, um, Wolf Tower, or Mm. what is the English version? The Tower of Wolfiness. (laughs) (laughs) The Wolfening. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure it's the law of the Wolf Tower is the UK, Australia version, or actually just non-US, only US, only the US had Wolf okay. Tower as the title. Yeah, for what's someone to say that the US version might, might be the better one. <laughs> um, yeah, it was actually Tanith Lee's inclusion in this anthology that made me remember it and be like, okay, yeah, we need to cover that. Um, I've had it on our list for a a while, but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind, not until Tanith came roaring back to me. (laughs) So Among the Leaves So Green is about, it's, it's fully fairy tale territory. It is not at all modern or contemporary like, um, most of the others. Which I appreciate because you need some like straight up fairy tale in there. Oh yeah. Um, and it is about to, Half-sisters, whose mother is the... um, Town sex worker. Town sex worker. The single one. (laughs) Kind of a bummer. (laughs) Um, And they they have different fathers. um, And one of whom... Well, okay. Both of whom came from the wood. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really know much else about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are out in the woods getting eggs from the village witch. (laughs) Uh, And I'm just kind of applying titles to everyone because they don't really get them in the story. Um, And they get lost. 
they get separated um, and uh, take two divergent paths. Yeah. So one of the daughters is nice, one is mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The nice one ends up witnessing the witch passing on and then the other local witches come to pay her to pay their respects and to like have their service and they take that daughter um Gil- uh, Gillane is the nice yeah, one Gillane and Burgett is, is the Burgett. bad one right Burgett Burgett yeah. and Gillane yeah yeah Burgett was first born yes um so Gillane the nice one goes with the witches and learns that she is actually the daughter of a like local lord mm-hmm. um who's also involved with the witches so she has some magic power in her um and she like marries a prince and um gets like the classic fairy tale yeah gets a classic happily ending. ever after yeah Burgett, on the other hand becomes entombed in a tree. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> and spends quite some time there. Yeah, one um, time in the tree. Learning about the forest and about herself. And when and she, how to be less crappy. How to be good. And when she emerges, she it's clear that she is the descendant of the major forest spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she... Is and just like a forest sprite. Is an immortal forest being yeah. of sorts um, and spends her days dancing through the forest, performing small pranks, reveling in the beauty of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the story, she meets uh, Jelaine's like great, great, great granddaughter. granddaughter who yeah. is a little princess playing in the wood. Yeah, she's crappy. So full circle i love this story for so many reasons um tanith does some great foreshadowing i <laughs> um, love her writing style she's so incredible. yeah she's so talented um i love the absolute cruelty and terror that permeates the beginning of the story yeah. um because all three of the women are in a bad way i kind of wonder if uh tanith lee had a bad childhood <laughs> Reading Wolf Tower after Wolf Tower and also yeah, I was like, ooh. Um, uh, It was it was mainly she she said that she had a happy childhood, but they had to move a lot because her parents were um, performers; they were dancers, professional dancers. Wow, and she was bullied a lot, so she had a hard time socially. Um, Okay, so that's why she's so good at writing bullies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. and uh, she, uh, as soon as we think we've arrived at the end of the story, which is Jelaine going off to, you know, become a princess, uh, the narrator says, you know, the interesting one is actually Burgette. So let's go back to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then what transpires with Burgette is so glorious and transformative and it's ultimately much more satisfying because she was so cruel to begin with but mm-hmm. her cruelty is born of her mother's cruelty toward right. her yeah um and it's just like a perfect capsule of a fairy tale but a fairy tale that actually goes places that you wouldn't expect at all the typically traditional yes. moments yeah it's uh, subversive it is and just like 
Clady, just like Clady Ba yeah, exactly. at the just end like of the Clady. story where she's just like, nope, go blow it up. <laughs> Sorry, go listen to our Wolf Tower episode yeah, <laughs> and um, read Wolf Tower. So Tanith Lee has a collection of stories that I read when I was younger and I really want to reread that are all um, like satanic retellings of classic fairy tales. And it's, what? Called, it's called Red is Blood or Tales from the Sisters Grimmer. It's amazing. Oh my <laughs> God, that sounds incredible. Yeah, and this would fit in there, although this oh. is more YA oriented and also um, just like more happy <laughs> tone. It has a yeah. really happy ending yeah. for both sisters. Um, and I mean, wouldn't you rather be Bridget, you know? Yes, 100%. What she, a thousand percent. <laughs> what she becomes is like, yeah, I think every young nature obsessed readers dream mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so among the leaves so green by tanith lee another story that really struck me and made me really sad um was uh, remnants yeah which is by uh, kathy, kathy koja yeah it's just it's short it's just this woman who Lives in the woods alone in a dilapidated ruin filled with garbage. And she makes the garbage into her home, including like a fence that's made of plastic and glass bottles, like and a a, a forest of plastic bags, over a hundred types of individual mm-hmm. plastic bags. I just want to read a little passage from it. Okay, she's she's talking about her home. Uh, not that it's all safe here. That's not the point. But it's good, you know, a good place. A place where you can just be, just stand and think or watch the whirly gigs. You know what a whirly gig is? I made them out of plastic jugs, tin snip patterns of milky white or the dull silver of aluminum cans. It's, I mean... It's it's such a rich story. Yeah, it is. And it's all made of of garbage. Like mm-hmm. all of her wonderful things that comfort her and that make her feel safe and happy and calm. They're all pieces of trash and uh, and she's creating a safe space because she has significant trauma that she's yeah. trying to work past. Right. Mhm. And it, it it struck me really hard because I mean it's not it's not an identical analog, but um, it made me think of like when there's a sweep of a homeless yeah. um, village, like where homeless people are just living their lives because they don't have anywhere else to live, and then the city comes in and throws everything away, um, which is like that's like sure it's it's helpful for sanitation purposes, mm-hmm. but they also throw away a lot of stuff that's not trash. Um, and I think it's pretty explicitly meant to evoke that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In my opinion, that's what I thought too. Um, and also just like the, so I, I like things. Yeah. I like tchotchkes. I like trinkets. I, I like decorations and I like my home to feel like a hobbit hole. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very tidy, but I also am kind of a maximalist. Um, and the like the Marie Kondo like this does not spark joy so you should throw it away uh, um, movement 
troubles me because I feel like people just like throw stuff away and then they replace it with more Mm -hmm. of the same garbage and things that may not have a lot of value in and of themselves, but if they're old and they're useful, there's no reason to discard them and get new things. Like the world is filling up with garbage. Like just use the stuff that's already there. Um, Anyways, I hope I hope it makes sense how this relates to this story. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. But it just really evoked those feelings in me because people from the outside world come and are like, this the is de- a sanitation and it's issue. The Department of People Watching. Yeah, the Department yeah. of People Watching um, come and throw away all of her things saying like, oh, this is a sanitation yeah. issue. We'll clean this up. We'll make it better. Um, but she has already moved all of her lawn animals inside so they're safe and then she's like talking to them and saying oh well these these beautiful garbage bags that they left behind like these will make beautiful new sails and Mm -hmm. leaves in the trees um so she's going to be okay but it just it evoked a lot of really strong feelings for me and that one i did read the author's blurb and it was like two lines i think she just says like sometimes there's beauty in the things that we that we throw away away. yeah yeah i think this story is um i mean it's definitely about homelessness i think Mm -hmm. it's also about mental illness and about the uh, way that we tend to treat people with mental illness um, especially when they're homeless like just kind of condescending like well we'll we'll make it better for you and without asking them what they actually want exactly and the protagonist has created not only her own safe place but her own forest beautiful home yeah um or it's beautiful to her and that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a very sad story. It was in my old and new favorites cross section list that mm-hmm. I made. Um, I've always loved it, uh, but it's really heartbreaking, but then also ends on a positive note. Yeah. Like she's going to be okay. Um, and yeah, I just, I hope the best for that protagonist. And I appreciate that story being included in this collection um, because it is pretty fully, um, non-fantasy in in a lot of ways like yeah but she like she creates her own forest that's what i was saying yeah exactly but but what i'm saying is it's like a total overlap of the forest and the urban Mm, Um, there is no actual it is the urban as the forest right right Um, there's no actual fantastical element okay so (laughs) this is gonna be a long episode y'all um but you know just relax fall into it take a walk in the woods as you listen have some chocolate i have some chocolate um there are two more that i absolutely must discuss uh (laughs) technically three okay somewhere in my mind there is a painting box by charles de lint yeah um has always been very important to me yeah i Um, feel that for you so when i was young i fancied myself a fine artist oops i just hit the table let me say that When I was young, I fancied myself a fine artist, um, and I especially liked painting trees and nature in general. Um, And this story is like Joshua Tree, just set up to hit all the pleasure centers of my brain so furiously. (laughs) Yeah, I just I didn't have have a chance. Um, It is about a 
a teen girl living with her. Um, she calls her her aunt. Yeah. Um, in the forest in like a fake New England small town. Yeah. But but they're they're very far away from from other humans, like miles away. Um, and she and her aunt, um, you know, they have pretty much a self sustaining household um so there's plenty of chores to do but when she's not working she is exploring in the woods and she one day finds a painting box in the forest at the base of a tree and we had a lot of those sets when we were little the like little (sighs) kid like yeah um yeah there's still an intense (laughs) i just sent one to isa for her fifth birthday um had pom-poms in it (laughs) Inside the painting box are three small canvases that have paintings on them of specific areas of Lily's wood. So she takes it home and is like, yeah, I'm going to make some paintings. But the next day, she finds a whole man in the woods. What? And he is very confused. He's cute. (laughs) And she takes him home. (laughs) Um And they realize that he is actually a fairly well-known painter who used to live in the area and has been missing for decades. So something mysterious is going on because it doesn't look like he's aged at all. Lily has an old book about painters, or not that old, I guess, whatever. (laughs) She has a book about painters from the region who were naturalists and often painted in the woods. And so she has his picture and is like, hmm, looks like you right now, which doesn't make sense. And they eventually figure out that he has traveled into the spirit realm of the wood, essentially. And that is where he was with his mentor, another painter who remained there. Um, but he got spat out somehow and uh, he really wants to go back yeah, because the woods rejected him. now he has seen what the wood can be and more specifically see a place that's so beautiful that you don't need to paint it because Mm. it's just all around you and it's most perfect form and Lily has to make the decision whether to go back with him or not Mm. Um, and she is tempted for many different reasons because he's a cutie and they share a kiss as well Um, how old is he? (laughs) he's like 20s Okay. She's 18. I mean, yeah. I thought she's 17. Okay, she's 17. Um, and also because she wants to see what that world is like, what like the perfect realization of the wood is. Um, but in the end, she chooses to stay back at home. Yeah. So, like I said, quite a few reasons why I love this. Um, the descriptions of the colors being... Uh, more intense and more bright and more ideal than they are in the real world and how, you know, we basically just have like a gray veneer over everything here, but then in the fairy world, it's all... That's a very common trope, I feel like. Yeah, definitely, but but I, I'm still into it. No, and yeah, also yeah, it's a good one. paintings being the way to open the portal between the two worlds mm. because the this uh, painter, Frank creates a painting on the wall of the cave uh, that they suspect is the entry point and that's mm-hmm. how he gets back through um i love that i love the mystery of like who could be out in the wood and what's going on there yeah, and, and she has a tree friend 
She has a tree friend. She does. Yeah. Who turned her into a kitten to save her from a fever when she was a child. Cool. And she provides offerings to the tree friend and the tree friend assures her like it's important that you stay here and create your own art because then you're giving other people a way to kind of access that Mm -hmm. spirit world of the wood. Um, And yeah, that, that is just all really, really appealing. Um, And Charles DeLint actually has a series of books that are about that pretend area. Hmm. Um, And this character is in some of them, Lily. Um, So I think I might have to check some of his other stuff out. Cool. Yeah. I also have to mention Daphne, uh, which is by Michael Cadnam um, and is one of my preferred tellings of this story. Um, So it is, for those who aren't familiar, the story of Daphne. This is a story from Greek mythology, Mm -hmm. and Daphne is the daughter of a river god, um, and she is, you know, just doing her thing, living in the human world, and she catches the eye of Apollo, who is insistent that he must have her, and she refuses him and she takes a vow of chastity and says she's never going to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he decides, well, he's going to take her by force. And before he is able to do that, her father transforms her into a tree. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of problems with the story not, not this tale, like this retelling, but yeah. the story as a whole. Um, and it, but at the same time, it's always been one that's been really interesting to me, mm-hmm. um, especially because, you know, maybe I wish I could become a tree when I don't want to deal with um, be useful men yeah. <laughs> or just uh, human life in general. Um, and there is a line at the end of this. Uh, yeah, that I need to read. Um, so the final paragraph in the story To this day, when a Daphne blossoms or when any tree breaks into leaf, you can feel how the sun is chastened, faithful to the living he can worship but never possess. And as for me, feel no sorrow. When you see the wind stir the greenwood or when you turn the pages of a book made from a tree's still blameless flesh, lean close and listen. You hear my voice. That's good. That's good writing. Yeah. (laughs) That is good writing. Good writing. (laughs) Um, the entire story is gorgeously written. Um, it's basically just about Daphne running away from Apollo and then becoming a tree. Um, but the way it's written gives a lot of agency to Daphne. Um, it gives her power. It gives her immortality. Um, and it's all from uh, very firmly from her point of view. Um, so I really appreciate that. Yeah. And it's been an old and new favorite as well. So the last story that I want to mention before we'll end this supersized episode is um, the final story in the anthology, which is called The Green Word. And it is by Jeffrey Ford. Um, this is one that I don't think I ever read when I was young. I think just because it was the end of the book. And I was we like, we're eh. done by then. <laughs> I finished reading for now. Um, and it's it's fairly long. And yeah. yeah, I think I was just like, yeah, whatever. Um but it has a wonderful illustration at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a cool story. It mixes a lot of different elements together. It's basically about a, um, oh my God, I just forgot what they're called. Uh, 
the root babies, a mandrake. Oh, yeah. It's basically about how a mandrake overthrows a kingdom mm-hmm. um, to make it really short. Yeah. Um, but all the characters contained within were really fascinating. There's a crow friend. Yeah, I was I the crow friend. knew that battle I yeah. would like. Um, and it, it also goes in surprising directions at times. There's yeah. like a tree man kind of blue fruit heart grows fruit um and depending on your intent the fruit can either destroy you or give you powers mm. it gave me like a little bit of an arthurian legend feel but like yeah. more fun yeah yeah <laughs> more less, extreme less stodgy uh, more magic yeah um it's deeply unsettling yep. at a lot of different moments it's like yeah, the pretty tree violent scary. the tree man is really frightening he comes in seeming like a religious zealot at first yeah. also mm-hmm. um and i can't tell if that's real or fake or what's yeah. exactly is going on and he's and the mandrake is born of a hanged man and i guess that that's like how mandrakes are made right yeah, yeah. i didn't know that um do you, do you want to know something like really gross and specific i'm in it um so apparently men ejaculate when oh, they're hanged yeah. and it's their seed that is becomes the mandrake. So there's a lot of myths about like the seed of a hanged man, like what it yeah. gives birth to and you know all that stuff. Yeah, that was new to me <laughs> until Pretty I gnarly. started. Uh okay. So I think that's it. I mean, we've talked about almost all of the stories. Yeah, which um, is impressive. I did not think we would do that. I did also, uh, we, we have to stop. This is so long. Yeah. But I did want to give a quick shout out to the story by Carolyn Dunn, um, which I I just can't even pronounce. Ali Oshash, oh. The Boy Who Was. Yeah. And Carolyn Dunn is a native writer. And I thought it was really cool, was cool to have story. some green man myth from native American traditions included. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a story that I think is also just really hard to talk about. Like you kind of need to read it. Um, it's to quote Bechdel cast a tone poem. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it just must be experienced. Um, so yeah, we won't, we won't spoil any of it, but it's also really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's going to be it for the green man. Um, If you've made it this far. Hmm. Wow. Thank you. A special episode, a special anthology. Yeah, that's right. Um, So we will announce our next book. We are going to be covering The Witches of Worm by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. It's a great name. It's a noob. It's a Newbery Honor book. So oh, to look forward the good to. kind of noob. <laughs> um, thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. I'm behind on responding to emails right now. I'm sorry. I've been working a lot. Um, but we read and appreciate all your emails and will respond eventually. It just might take a while. Um, but we appreciate them so much. Thank you. Um, you can find us on social media on Twitter at Dragon Babies Podcast, on Instagram at Dragon Babies Pod. And if you could also rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts platform, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think that's everything. Thank you for putting up with this anthology coverage. And we, we enjoy hope you enjoyed it. it. We hope you're all healthy, safe, and well. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>